This is the Ask a Vet podcast series from Solar Power World. Welcome to another edition of Ask a Vet. I'm Kathy Zip, Senior Editor of Solar Power World. If you have spotted a man with a signature mustache, bow tie, and hat walking around a solar show floor, you have seen this month's solar veteran Marvin Hammond, principal and founder of Hammond Engineering. Besides his signature look, Marvin is known for being an expert electrical engineer, writer, and supporter of the green energy movement. So I'm very excited to get to know the man behind the mustache today. Marvin, thank you for being here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I really want to dive into the really industry-driving, meaty stuff here. you got to tell me how you came up with your look. (laughs) If I looked at your high school yearbook photo, would I see the same mustache and bow tie? No, the the mustache was uh, my wife Pamela's idea, so she wanted to spruce me up a little and thought the mustache would be a bonus. (laughs) (laughs) It's a nice mustache. I I like to say, you know, there's mustaches and there's uh, moustaches, and I think that you Mm -hmm. have a moustache, so very nice. (laughs) Well, I think it works for you. (laughs) Well, now that my uh, curiosity has been appeased, I've read that you've been involved in renewable energy since the mid 1970s when you discovered solar and wind through magazines like Home Power and Mother Earth News. Can you tell me more about that? Sure. So back then there was a big back to the land movement that was popularized in Mother Earth News magazine and uh, the, the whole earth catalogs had come out. And there were a lot of people interested in getting out of the cities, going back to the land. A big movement in that direction. People wanted to have less complex lives, wanted to have more experiences and less consumerism. And it resonated with me. So I got involved in um, reading all these magazines and reading books on the back to the land movement. I was a teenager at the time, so so I wasn't going to go out and buy 40 acres myself. But uh, I was very interested in it. Then, you know, Mother Earth News ran a lot of articles, a lot of technology based articles on, you know, how to run your car on ethanol and how to generate wood gas to do things and, you know, hydropower and wind power. And then, uh, you know, as time went on, they started bringing photovoltaics into the mix. And these were small systems that you would have a little cabin out in the woods and you wanted to recharge your 12-volt battery because you had been recharging your 12-volt car battery on your car. You would lug this battery out to your car and run your car for a while or maybe run into town and come back and that and then you swap out the batteries and that's how you powered your little home and then PV came on the scene and people were able to buy a couple of modules you know get a little 200 watt system going they didn't even have charge controllers or anything they just hooked the modules directly to the battery and charged them up the whole idea was just fascinating to me you know that you can go out into the woods and set up your little homestead and power everything you needed right there you know based on uh, what you had on your land and so that piqued my interest and I had a few friends who who did make the back to the land transition they went and bought property up in Oregon and I helped them a little bit on some of their projects so it was it was an interesting introduction that's great that that's kind of how you found out about and got interested in renewables so you were you said you were a teenager at that time so then you ended up going to engineering school well it was a roundabout trip (laughs) 
<laughs> as they would have said at the time. <laughs> so when I turned 18, I wanted to get out of the house, but you know, I wasn't going to go, like I said, buy my 40 acres in the woods. So my way of getting out of the house was what a lot of people did, which was join the military. So I joined the Navy and other people in the Navy and my family. And I thought, oh, this looks like fun. You know, I saw some John Wayne movies where they, you know, had John on a submarine, you know, and they did all this stuff in World War II. And I said, oh, that sounds pretty cool. So I joined, volunteered to go into submarines, which is an all-volunteer part of the Navy, and got involved in submarines. Did six years of that, and um, my main work in submarines was on electronic systems and power systems uh, and keeping those up and running. So that just encouraged me to, uh, to develop a, a, a greater interest in electricity. I got out of the military and I was looking around, you know, what, what am I going to do? And I decided to go back to college and then looking at the different options I had, I whittled it down to engineering because I was interested in doing things that were engineering-like. And then I picked electrical engineering because of the idea of, you know, you can't really see anything that's going on and it's just all this math and stuff going on that you, you have to uh, describe and measure it sounded pretty interesting to me. So I got involved in electrical engineering and specifically in power engineering, which is a subset of the electrical engineering. Electrical engineering covers a wide breadth of study. And I went to the uh, California Polytechnic State University down in San Luis Obispo, which has a very strong power program. Got my uh, bachelor's and master's. Uh, it's unfortunate they didn't have a program specifically for solar, so I was in, just took the general power program. That was a great base for when you got into your career. I saw that you worked at ABB, Impel, Vectra Technologies, Duke Engineering. Were you working with solar in those jobs or was that more electrical work, engineering, software? Once again, a continuation of the strange journey. <laughs> when I graduated, I took a job at this general MEP engineering company, which is mechanical, electrical, plumbing, and was ABB Impel, which did some general engineering work. They did a lot of power plant work, and they did a lot of nuclear power plant work. So a lot of the work I did was related to commercial projects, power generation projects, and some nuclear power uh, systems doing uh, design and engineering for those systems. And then while I was there, this company kept getting bought by other companies. So it's like I had my same desk and my same cube, but you know, we went from ABB Impel to Vectra to these other companies until I decided I wanted to do something else. While I was there, I was able to get my professional engineering license, which kind of the thing you need to get in the engineering world if you want to go out and work on your own. And in order to get that license, you need to work at a company with other engineers because they have to sponsor you and sign you off. And it's like an apprenticeship. And once I got that, I, I thought, well, okay, I want to go do something else. I don't really want to do this uh, work on nuclear power plants. That really wasn't anything that interests me. So I'd leveraged some software development work I had done there to go out into the dot-com industry and uh, did software development for, for a number of years. That appealed to me, you know, again, because programming is very, uh, very technical and very procedure-driven and tickles that part of the engineer's brain that likes to see things highly structured and formatted. <laughs> uh -huh. So the dot-com bubble burst. <laughs> all over everybody around here in the Bay Area. And after that, I just took a couple of years off where I really didn't do much 
in the way of uh, programming or anything. Did a lot of work on my sailboat and sailing around the bay. Sounds and, okay uh, to me. <laughs> it was it was fun for a couple of years, and then I kind of got bored. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, so what am I going to do next? I was looking around, and Sunlight and Power had been advertising for solar designers and people to work in the industry. So I went and talked to them. They weren't ready to bring in a licensed engineer. They were just looking for designers, but I had a good talk with them. And out of that discussion, um, I took over as their outside professional engineer because they were starting to do larger projects in the commercial area. And so in order to do those kind of projects, a lot of times you have to have an engineer, you know, do the drawings, do the designs and, and provide a seal before you can get your building permit. So they outsourced uh, these projects to me where they needed the kind of engineering design. And I started working on that with them. And that was what got me into doing uh, more work in the PV industry and, and back into the engineering force as an engineering company and got that going. Yeah, you did. You founded your own company, Hammond Engineering. Can you tell me more about that? What, what do you do? I, I saw that you say, you know, you do professional engineering services for renewable energy systems. I'm here to make your job easier. So how do you do that? And are you focused on a specific segment? Generally, the kind of projects I get has changed over the years quite a bit. You know, it used to be more design work. Um, now it's actually more third-party engineering where um, a financier or a utility will bring me in on a project to do a review of the project. I can review the design or go out to the site and review the uh, system as, it, as it's been installed to make sure that it complies with the design and it complies with what the project developer has told people that they are delivering to them. I also do some owner's engineer work where an owner of a building who is interested in PV would uh, would hire an engineer to do the design work and then they would put that out to bid for uh, contractors to bring in a contractor and do the work. And I would do the design. I would also be the intermediary between the owner and the uh, contractor to deal with the construction issues, so some construction management. I've also done a little bit of, of small wind power. Um, occasionally I, I get a small wind power project, which is kind of interesting, but not a lot of those. I'm doing more work that is actually not PV related, just general MEP work on uh, general uh, commercial construction. Very good. You know, I, I recently interviewed Bill Brooks for this podcast too, and he does a lot of technical writing for magazines, which I know you do as well. He said that he really sees that as important for continuing education of the solar industry, especially on a higher technical level, because now there's a lot of classes and, and opportunities for entry-level people, but he was afraid that maybe we're kind of losing knowledge or maybe we need more of that knowledge on the higher technical level. Is that something you see as well and kind of why you are so interested in writing? Yeah, writing is, uh, has been a lot of fun and I like educating people. I get involved in, um, in educating people where I can. The writing is handy because it allows me to focus on a very specific topic and uh, get a lot of information out about what might be a narrowly defined topic. And then when and you get a magazine, they mix a lot of articles together, so it gives a nice cross-section, even though the article I do might be very focused on a specific 
product procedure. And, you know, for a person who has time to read all the articles, it can really help them stay up to speed on what's going on in the industry today. It's it's very easy for a small contractor to get tunnel vision because they don't interact with a lot of other contractors. They don't always have a chance to see what other people are doing. So they might be missing out on, you know, some technique that might make their work a lot easier and they can discover these things through magazine articles. I also encourage people to get involved in online boards. Uh, You know, there are a number of online forums out there that uh, people can post questions to and get some really good answers. There are a few opportunities for education, the mid-level and higher with our conferences like InterSolar and SPI. Generally, before the conference, there's a pre-conference kind of educational thing where you can pay extra to go to some of these classes. And I know Bill Brooks and Sean White do a code class that a lot of people really like to take. There's really not a lot of education in the mid and high levels classroom presentation type, um, unfortunately. Somebody is an PV contractor who's doing residential work and they want to go into commercial work, you know, where do they go to learn about three-phase systems and interconnecting with them? Well, there's really not a lot. Well, you know, we, we appreciate folks like you and Bill you know, writing those higher level articles. I think those are, are really important. So we're getting ready to print our annual trends issue that we put out at InterSolar every year. So kind of in light of that, I was wondering if you could share some of the things that you're seeing in solar and or the storage market right now. Uh, There seems to be strong growth in, in residential and in utility scale. A lot of new products coming into the market on the residential side to satisfy the uh, rapid shutdown requirements. That means module level electronics are, are becoming more popular, if, if not because of what they can do, because the code is going to end up requiring them. There is uh, some, it seems like the middle, CNI, the commercial and uh, industrial, seems to be stagnant, if not uh, pulling back a little right now. And I'm not quite sure where that's going to go in the in the near future. So we'll have to see. Well, yeah, I know that there's a, a lot of like financing challenges and things in the commercial market. However, I know like when it comes to storage, it seems like that's really promising because of the opportunities to reduce peak demand charges. And hopefully that's a market that'll kind of open up Yeah, we'll see. I mean, the thing about commercial is what gets people in the commercial industry excited is when they can do something with a five-year or less payback. When you're talking about something that has a payback over five years, it, it becomes a much more difficult sell because, you know, most commercial property is leased and the person that is leasing the property is paying for the electricity. So if if they have a 10-year lease on the property, they might be willing to install, you know, a PV array, assuming the owner of the building is okay with doing that kind of modification, if they're going to get their uh, return on their investment. Um, but somebody who's leasing a building, you know, it's much harder to sell these type of systems to them. And Owner-occupied buildings, you, you know, you can, you can sell uh, a longer payback to them, uh, but the owner-occupied buildings are, are a lot smaller section of the commercial market. 
Right. So you kind of mentioned code development. I know that you're very involved with a lot of code development and working groups. So what are some of the things that you're you're working on right now that maybe the industry will begin to see coming through the pipeline? Yes. Well, luckily, we just completed the first pass at the 2020 NEC. All those proposals are sent in, and now we're waiting for the code-making panel to churn through those and put out a preliminary um, 2020 NEC, which uh, then we can come back and put in comments on that and see where that's going to go. There's uh, a new code coming out that's still in the development phase that's specifically for storage. And that could be kind of interesting depending on what goes on in there because it's going to pick up more on the physical installation side and not the electrical side. The NEC is going to handle the electrical side. But this new code that's coming out from NFPA is going to handle, you know, what the physical location requirements are. Can you install it inside a residential building or do you have to install it outside? If you install it inside, what kind of firewall or enclosure are you going to need? So it's going to cover things like that for residential and commercial buildings. There's a lot of UL code development that's going on. And one of those that's going to have a big impact on on PV is if you look in the current rapid shutdown requirements, one of the three requirements is a UL-listed PV array designed to limit the energy somebody would be exposed to if, if they're interacting with that array. And that's just getting off the ground. We're just starting to work on that. I'm on that STP. And that's hopefully going to provide alternative ways of satisfying rapid shutdown rather than the two ways that are listed in the NEC, perhaps uh, less expensive forms of compliance. Right. It's been very interesting how that's developed over the last few years. Very interesting from your perspective to be so close to those advances. So I saw this quote on your LinkedIn about solar in the 70s. And you say that putting a 300-watt PV system on a remote cabin was a big deal back then when modules were $30 a watt and inverters put out a square wave that would eat your computer printer. We've come a long way, and today multi-megawatt PV systems cost less than a dollar a watt installed. But you say that you still feel the thrill when you see sunlight being turned into electricity. It never gets old. Can you tell me a little bit more about why you have this passion for solar and why it never gets old to you? I find it conceptually very interesting that you can just set out this, um, what's basically a block of processed sand <laughs> and, uh, and hook some wires up, to get electricity out of it. It's one of the closest things we probably get to magic, you know, <laughs> seeing this work. So it's always interesting at these little solar community forums, you know, like if they do a solar house tour or something you know there'll always be somebody out there who has a a little waiting pool and a little fountain pump in there that's hooked up to a module and you just set that thing up and it shoots water up in the air kids go up to it and they're like fascinated by it they're like what's making that run you know what's going on here you show them how they put their hand in front of the module and the water stops and you take the hand away and it starts up again and you know it's just fascinating to see you know people interact with systems like this it's just you know the idea that the sun is doing something that uh, turns into physical work very cool so i see that you volunteered a lot with grid alternatives and some other organizations so can you tell me maybe one of your favorite or one of the projects you found interesting that you've been involved with on a volunteer basis 
Sure, I do a lot of volunteering. Um, actually, all this code development stuff is volunteering too. Nobody pays me to do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are some people out there that get government grants for the work they're doing, but so far it's just all volunteer for me. <laughs> well, we um, thank you for that. It's a thankless yeah, job. <laughs> I, I tell people that, that I do it because I don't have enough turmoil in my daily life. I need to go out and buy turmoil by volunteering to do code development. <laughs> <laughs> but Grid Alternatives has been great. I actually started volunteering volunteering, doing projects in developing countries years ago when I was working with Rotary. I was a Rotary member. We used to do um, stove projects and uh, power projects in Latin America. And then I got involved with Power to the People, which was a nonprofit that was run by Janine Smith. And I got involved with them and they did remote solar installations in Latin America, Nicaragua, and a few other countries there. And they were um, taken into grid alternatives because grid alternatives wanted to have an international arm instead of building up their own. And internally, they just acquired power to the people. And that happened kind of while we were in the middle of, of volunteering with them. Pam and I went down to one of the Nicaragua projects and helped them install a PV system on a school in a, in a small community that didn't have any power. It was a lot of fun, very rewarding. It's, a, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, people really appreciate these, these off-grid systems, either in their home as very small systems or in a community location, such as a school, that allows them to not only use the building as a school, but to use it as a community center in the evening when they have light. And so that, that's always been fun. And I'm still involved with them on their technical uh, team doing design, helping them with design work. They've now actually branched out. They're doing larger projects. They're doing microgrid projects in Nepal. They've designed and built their own small home power system in a box that they've been distributing uh, down in Latin America to allow people to power their homes. And it's been very, very, very fun, very rewarding to uh, be involved with them. They've been a great organization. Yeah, Grid Alternatives is great, and that is amazing. I mean, solar can definitely make a difference in the U.S., but, I mean, you see how solar has brought electricity to places that couldn't have lights, they couldn't read after a certain hour, or to have medical care. I know I've talked to people that have said that they really fell in love with solar by seeing what it could do and places that didn't have access to power at all. So that's really neat that you've been involved in some of those things. Yeah, one of the things that sets them apart too is the follow-on. They don't just go in and install something and walk away. There's a high failure rate where people just go down, install something and walk away. Typically six months to a year, the systems are non-functional. So you have to have follow-up and ongoing care. You know, you have to set up a contract with a local PV contractor to provide O&M support to the system, and you have to check back with people. I've also been involved with Engineers Without Borders and doing some systems and seen a lot of failures over the years. You go back into the community after a couple of years and modules are being used as cutting boards, or you go into a community and everything works except the batteries, and it hasn't been working for a couple of years. Oh, and it can be a problem. It, it's easy to feel good about something, going in, setting it up, turning the lights on, everybody you know, throws a little party. You know, what's happening a year from now? And these systems are supposed to last, but they don't if people don't follow up on them. So it's important to get involved with an organization that has follow-up. Absolutely, that's a very good point. Um, so my last few questions are just kind of fun. 
And I wanted to talk about you and Pam Cargill a little bit because I love Pam. She works with us a lot. You two are very versed in, in your field. And I think it's so great that you got married at SPI a couple years ago. And for anyone who's not familiar, it was a solar-themed wedding, and you were married by Tor Valenza, the famous solar fred on Twitter, to excerpts of the National Electrical Code. Was that right? Yes. Well, so you obviously met through solar? Yes. So we met back in 2008 at uh, an ASIS uh, conference, you know, American Solar Energy Society down in San Diego. And uh, she was representing the local chapter in, in the Northeast, and at the time, uh, Claudia Wentworth was trying to encourage me to join the board of NorCal Solar. So when I went down to the ACES conference, Claudia pulled me into this ACES chapter meeting where all the representatives from the different chapters were coming together. And that's where I met her. She was speaking out in support of her Northeast chapter. Very cool. So you thought in the end it just made sense for you to get married around something that you both loved. Yes, we had talked about it for several months before then, how we wanted to do this, you know, did we want Elvis involved or, you know. Because <laughs> it was in Vegas as well. So. It's in Vegas. Yes, what do you do in Vegas? Lots of opportunities <laughs> in Vegas. Yeah, we wanted to do it. So we uh, worked with Tor and we actually did his tweet up that he holds at, right. at every conference. SPI sent a videographer and there were all kinds of people taking pictures. There was a gentleman dressed up as the son who walked her down the aisle and. And uh, we had that house, the Ark House, I think it's called, set up there. So we used their front porch. And uh, yeah, the whole thing just kind of came together. It was a lot of fun. Well, that's so wonderful. Congratulations again. I'm sure you two are, you. are very happy. Do you talk solar a lot at home? Or you know, what else do you do when you're not working? Yeah, we talk solar all the time. We like to go, um, we like to do urban hiking. So we'll do like staircase walks in Berkeley. They have all these staircases that go between the streets. And, and when we're out walking around, we tell each other we're infrastructure nerds because we'll be pointing to infrastructure stuff. You know, like there's some really old uh, residential installs in Berkeley. You know, they were very early adopters. So there's a lot of stuff out there that, you know, we would look at today and go, ooh, that's interesting. <laughs> so we like to go out and look at all this stuff. And we'll look at all kinds of things. You know, we comment on cable companies' poor wire management when they install stuff. You know, we'll go, look at that. <laughs> I got five minutes on that. <laughs> we do the same thing when, like, we travel to Nicaragua. We're looking around. We're going, wow, look at that. Just an octopus of wires, you know, up on that pole, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, relationships are built on what you have in common. So that's wonderful that you have found your, your match. <laughs> and you two do such excellent work. So, well, I think that's uh, all we have time for. But thank you so much, Marvin. It's been really fun getting to know you. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. This has been another edition of Ask a Bet. Join us each month as I, SPW editor Kathy Zip, bringing you the unique perspectives and insights of those who have spent a decade or more in solar. Thanks for listening to the Solar Power World podcast. Join us online for more podcasts, videos, and great editorial content at solarpowerworldonline.com. And don't forget to share your thoughts on social media. Catch you next month.